Right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley. I was just looking at a little book, actually, I was reading. It's got nothing to do with global leadership, I have to say. But it sort of might do. And it, if we've got time, it would be quite interesting to have a look at it. It's called How to Raise an Adult by um, Julie Lithcott-Hames. How to Raise an Adult. And I just stumbled across this section about um, a checklist to see what your 18-year-olds should be capable of when they go to college or when they go and do whatever they do. Right. And I thought, um, on the whole, I think my lot did quite well at that age, which shows my age. Uh, but I thought maybe for your for your lot, because you've got quite a lot of... You've got about 450 boys, I think, in your house. We've got... We, um, we had a flip. You've had three girls and a boy. I've had... Three boys and a girl. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. three boys so, are, and are it, 10 and under. If there's time, I thought maybe uh, we could have a look at how to raise an adult mm. um, and think, yeah, how are we doing uh, with how to raise a leader in your team? Yeah. I thought maybe we could just play around with that. And the other thing I thought, I, I've been doing quite a lot of um, work on fixed and dynamic mindsets and um, looking at Im looking at images on my computer. <laughs> this is the same context, is by it? the way. Okay, right, right. <laughs> and um, I've been looking at buses, um, uh, okay. red and green buses, and I think I have absolutely polluted my computer uh, with with buses, and it's not behaving uh, like it should do anymore. It's gone really slow, like an old diesel bus. So I don't know what I've done, oh. but I think I've done some. I've downloaded something weird onto my computer, as so, usual. Um, listeners, um, for those of you listening to the podcast in recording, um, I'm wondering we, why. Yeah, where's this come from? <laughs> we'll talk more about this later. But obviously, um, as ever, um, if you have listener questions, you can email them into globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or you can find us on social media. Post your questions there. Today we do have three questions um, to go through. Oh, we also have a live audience um, who can submit their questions to via the Q&A box and um, you guys can carry on with that if you so wish. We do have some topics as well um, that we wish to kick around, one of which I suspect is going to be around buses. Now, for those of you that are regular listeners to the podcast, I think we've touched on red and green buses before, but we'll revisit those during the session today. But before we get into the meat of things, Mr. Bradley, we must receive a lockdown update from Ramsgate. How is life for you there? Uh, well, do you know, I think you could put in neon lights above Ramsgate um, this one big, huge word, and it's called hope. And it's hope. And 50 to 60% of the people of Ramsgate think hope means that we can get back into the pubs. Uh. And we've th there is a pub um, for virtually, you know, 10, 10 people. Uh, there's one pub to those 10 people because there are so many pubs in Ramsgate. Um, my wife tends to take me to all of them on a Friday night. Um, and we've got one particular pub that we love, uh, that we always go to, um, and she has been scratching at the windows to get back in there. So she is full of hope uh, this week uh, that she's going to get back into the Queen's Head in Ramsgate, our favourite pub on the planet. Uh, we love we love the landlord, and so we're full of hope. Actually, I'm, I've, I've got the, I've got a little zing in in me as well, which um, how exciting, <laughs> which is zinging away. Um, so, what about you though? Have you got hope? And what what would what one word would you use to describe your feelings today? Uh, I do you know what? Um, and uh, the word hadn't popped into one's mind until you said that word. My word would now also be hope. Um, uh, because whilst the kid, kids are on half term this week, I have hope that they'll be soon going back to school and going to school, um, which means <laughs> I can get some, some, some uninterrupted work done rather than every 15 minutes going upstairs to witness a full on wrestling match between the three children that are currently in education, so to speak. Um, equally, actually, um, I think, I think the UK government speaking slightly politically have learned their lesson from giving people too much hope for December and that Christmas relaxation. And I think yeah. I, I have hope that they're now being 
cautious at the other end of the spectrum and then can surprise us with relaxing things a little bit more than they had done. I think I read, if I'm not mistaken, that our case numbers are now well below what they were even in October, November, which yeah. is a really good sign. And as the weather starts to get warmer, we all knew last year that as the weather got warmer, the, if we were outside, things were quite a bit better. And we know much more now than we did a year ago. And when the scientists are saying that we're actually we're, we're in a good space, um, then I think that backs up the optimism. I think, unfortunately, our prime minister sometimes has been too optimistic because that's his kind of default position of optimism and hope and ambition and everything's going to be great, which is good. But if we know it, but, you know, I think unfortunately that then meant that he's then had to go back on his word a few times. Whereas I think this time I have similar hope. Kids are going back to school soon. I think weather's starting to get warmer. Um, lots of exciting things happening in my day job. So, yeah, I have equal amounts of hope, Mr. Bradley. So perhaps our Prime Minister is actually getting the hang of his job now, which is quite good. Um, 15, 15 months in, isn't it? Well, officially, because yeah. he's obviously was a, he's nearly two years in, isn't he? Because he was uh, um, yeah. Prime Minister from the July, but kind of an unelected one, if you will, really. And I, I agree with you. So that, that um, peddling of uh, hope uh, as a default um, became false in the end and and I think it was just like oh shut up just shut up yeah yeah, yeah. um and I you know I think I, I I've I've got sick of it but now I don't know I'd, I'm hearing other voices um I've always oh. believed <laughs> yeah again uh I've I've always I've, I've always felt that the 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 UK and I don't want this to be UK centric but I I've always felt that we have the most brilliant scientists um, yeah, and uh, and experts in technology, and uh, so I, I have faith and trust in them uh, to do all sorts of extraordinary things. Actually, um, and there's something in the in the news earlier on in the week about a whole load of young people wanting to get into uh, nursing. Inspired, by, inspired by the caring that we're given to people during the pandemic and things. Is that what it's Yeah. Hmm. So I, I thought, God, that's, you know, I hadn't expected that. No. Um, you know, the demand for, for jobs in nursing has gone up. Um, so I don't, there's lots of weird shit going on in the world, I think. Apparently there's going to be some free economics in a few years' time for the economic. We're going to, we need to get into leadership chat in a second, but we're, well, we're chewing the fat here. And I know our podcast listeners do enjoy this. And in the live room, do feel free to tell us if you think we're talking nonsense and need to get the... Yeah, on. feel free. Um, Someone needs to. No, everyone's saying, no, this is all good. Fine. Right, so free economics-wise... Um, so apparently there will be a baby boom this year as a result of people not doing much else other than being locked in there. Not in our house yeah. and probably not in yours. No, no, I've I've made the doctor help me make sure of that. That's fine. Um, however, they do believe there is going to be a lull. There's going to be a baby complete fall off the cliff next year because those that were going to have babies that decided to during lockdown or, or you know had the accidents, they've now probably got over that accidental <laughs> period of fun. Um, but equally, there is an absolute all-time low of new relationships, they believe. So statistically, those that were on the lookout for a new relationship are currently unable to find their suitor, which means typically, you know, there is normally a 6 to 12 or 24-month period between falling in love and either getting married and having a baby or having a baby. Is um, that called consummation? I I don't consummating the relationship. There hasn't been the opportunity to do that. So, so what they're saying is new relationships yeah. being formed is low. Therefore, that will create a consequential impact on childbirth rates in 18 months time. Because normally if you have children, you tend to have it either quite early on in the relationship or there's a, apparently there's nothing happens between the first zero to nine months. Evidently, there's then a bit of a blip for people that kind of get together and go, oh, what happened there then? Um, and whether they work out or not. But then equally, there is then apparently between two and three and a half years, a big spike. Um, and then it goes down a bit again, and then it sits there, and then it kind of starts tailing up again. And then it kind of sits around. So, so there's kind of this zero peak down, and then it edges up a bit. Apparently that's how it works. But based on this this algorithm, there is likely to be a baby shortage in 18 months to two years time. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Me too. It's, it's like, you know, when you have a boom in the city, people wear different clothes. 
Um, yeah. And, and isn't it the hemline goes up or down? I can't remember. Which, I think it goes up when we're in a boom and it goes down when it's all a bit, mm, and it's all a bit shit. And apparently some analytical companies look at um, dry cleaners as an index. Um, because if the dry cleaning is going down, there is either there's a recession. But of course, now there is an, another anomaly, which is uh, which is down to like home workers. So I think now they won't be able to use those dry cleaners for anal- anyway. All very interesting. I was, so there's a book called Free Economics that came out in the mid noughties and I loved the book. Yes, it, um, and it all talked about um, um, contraception and gun crime being linked, and it was really really clever. Anyway, I, I, I'm still into all this sort of shit. Um, Love that. I'm going to um, add that to my um, Audible uh, account, um, which is the only way that I can actually read, stroke, listen to books these days when I'm doing my walking, um, because I don't Uh, have enough time. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. You know, I tend to... I tend to go for walks with with friends now because only time we can catch up in the UK. Anyway, oh, I've got rid of all of those. They're a waste of time. Yeah, they, well, that's no, the, ba- no, no, the baby love, boom. You've done all the baby boom. I love stuff. my friends. I can't wait to get back hugging all my friends. Yeah, J- JB thing. loves a bit of oxytocin. I love it. Sorry, should we get serious? Let's let's get on the subject of leadership. So there's a few different things we wanted to talk about this week. JB has a lovely couple of articles, which I think we should start with him. I've got a kind of one in the middle. Um, but JB and then we'll do the listener questions at the end as we normally do remember if you have a listener question in the audience you can submit it there has been one submitted live two sent in already um, plus your chance to ask anything if you want JB what is your first topic for conversation around leadership today well so I thought it would be I've been um, looking at amending uh, a thing that we do quite a lot at the beginning of uh, webinars and work with global clients and uh, we do this thing about fixed and dynamic mindsets. It's it's based uh, on the work of Carol Dweck uh, and her brilliant book, Mindset. Um, but I, t- to be honest, I find that book quite uh, child school centric. And for me, the language is great, but it's not quite appropriate to where we need it to be to talk to uh, leaders in organisations. Um, so... I thought it would just be quite useful, uh, given you know some of the topics you're talking about. Um, I want to just—I've been revisiting it this last week and just thinking about you know the challenges of of where leaders are right now. Um, you know this this kind of um, situation that we've been in uh, with COVID. I think has obscured some of the other major, major things going on around us uh, in organisations. And we're coming now, hopefully, towards the end of um, the beginning or the middle of COVID. Um, And how are we preparing our teams uh, for the challenges ahead? We don't quite know Uh, what's going to happen. But I, I, talking to leaders recently, uh, I get this sense that we're going to be coming out of the traps very, very fast. Um, and the competition is going to be quite brutal. Um, and are we ready? Have we got our people ready for the challenges to come? When, when you say competition, for the benefits yeah. of thickos like me, um, are you on about competitive landscape for employees to be attracted elsewhere? Or are you talking about the wider business challenges of competition where everyone's scrambling quickly to grow the business? Or is it both? I, all of. Right, okay. All of that. All of that. The competition for talent uh, is going to be massive. Um, and what kind of people are we going to be uh, talking about? Are these people who uh, will be coming into the office or will they be working from home? Um, are they agile? Um, and you know, what kind of people are we going to be trying to recruit into our organisations, which is kind of where I want to lay out this stall. Um, but I'm also thinking uh, about the competition uh, in terms of takeovers, mergers, uh, acquisitions, um, and you know, people getting big skin in the game, mm. um, moving their business more towards a digital platform, um, thinking about infotech, 
um, thinking about biotech or whatever tech you really, really want to think about, um, you know, how much how much of our uh, workload are we going to be able to send off elsewhere? Um, that AI issue um, is coming at us. Uh, Didn't we have a, an episode I, on that once? We ended up being think, quite depressed by the end of it. I think we might have done. <laughs> I think we may, we may well have done, but I think we've got to harness this stuff. Yes. Um, not to be too disturbed by it, but let's get let's get first out of the block. So, what are those? What are those challenges um, that are going to present themselves? And have we got teams um, who we can pull together in a room? Uh, did you ever watch Apollo 13 uh, where they're putting all the stuff on the table to get these guys back alive? Yes. Um, and Great it's film. cardboard boxes, it's loo rolls, um, it's Filters, sellotape. It? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's everything. And they, and, and they put it on the table and these guys in, in no sleep allowed for the, until they've got this shit done and they've worked out how to get these back. Um, and practicing putting these little things in here and and wires there, we need teams who are capable of uh, imagining and visualizing these challenges um, and being able to work out the right direction for the company. Right now, what are the interferences that are going to get in the way of these team members being able to assimilate this information? Uh, the skills that they require, but probably more importantly, uh, working as a team, working together, um, celebrating difference, uh, uniting around a strong vision. What is what is the, what is the, what's, what's the overall plan? Are we putting uh, a man on the moon in ten years? Are we going to Mars? Are we um, actually going to put our bit of technology into the marketplace faster? Uh, than our competition. Do do we understand what the interferences are that are going to prevent us from doing this? Um, are we celebrating effort? Are we celebrating the effort of our people uh, to actually do this? Are we giving good feedback? Uh, are, are the people in our team actually ready uh, to re receive um, either, you know, really well executed feedback or really shit feedback that still might be useful. I, it's delivered really badly, yeah. but there's something useful in there. Um, are we going to get caught up on uh, other people getting the project uh, that we wanted or getting even a promotion during this really critical time of relaunching our business? These, these areas that I've talked about, uh, challenges, interferences, effort, feedback and achievement of others, these are the things that hold people back in teams when there is a fixed mindset going on. Uh, they will run away from a challenge. Uh, their thinking is rigid. Uh, their thinking is not, um, you can't cultivate it. You can't move their thinking along. You can't develop their thinking because they're stuck where they are. So I think it's a moment to evaluate our teams as we come out of the traps, hopefully in the next, I don't know, three, six, nine months. I'm not going to be specific about it because we don't know. No. There could be another howler around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that the, the... I've been talking to a few business leaders myself over the last couple of weeks and the only anxiety some of them have referenced, in fact, only two of them that I've spoken to, is the anxiety about if the, a variant of COVID is, um, not res, is, is resistant to the vaccination. Um but I think I've articulated that the right way. You know my you know my point though, right? Is that actually that a new variant comes out that the the the, the, the vaccination can't um, can't kill, um, yeah. and that's the only uncertainty. But I would agree with you. I think J JB makes reference to this fixed dynamic mindset being an interference to the uh, the the relaunch or the rebirth of some of our companies that are currently in dormant situations. And when we've had this period of uncertainty for quite a long period of time. And I do think for the first time in a generation, if not two or three generations since the war, there is going to be a complete reset of what people value about life. Um, you know, I think individually, you and I as people, if we have, a, a, you know, a, a huge change in our life, like a child or a death of a loved one or a parent or relative, that can allow us to reset what's important to us in life. And those happen all the time. But I don't think there has been 
such a huge reset for so many people for so many reasons for a long time. I think, you know, death rates obviously have gone up slightly. Um, the fact that we've all probably known someone now that has had it, that's been quite ill or possibly even died as a result of it, has made us all revisit the vulnerability of life and therefore what's important. But I also think that with all of those things considered, a number of those people off the back of their values being reset are now moving over to the fixed side. As a leader, how do we suck them back to the dynamic side? Because to your point, if the interference is all around the fixed mindset individuals in your business, as a leader, once upon a time, these people were well up for it. They were ambitious. Yeah. They were hungry. They, they were on the bus, the organizational bus, but not on the red side of the bus. Or the, you know what I mean? Whereas they, they, they kind of want to get off the bus now. And those challenges as a leader is how do we get them all back into this, this space of being dynamic? So COVID, uh, I, the tide went out. Um, it's a good getting up, lots of lots of metaphors <laughs> flying around today. But hey, why not? Uh, it's Metaphor Friday. Uh, the tide went out, and you know there were there were people um, standing there who hadn't really been doing very much. Um, you know, they their their skills were they weren't really sort of focused on building their skill base. Um, they uh, some of them actually were pretty skilled uh, but they were going around trying to drown everyone else um, but we've noticed it now self-destruct yeah and so we're down to some pretty hardcore individuals uh, in our organizations and yet you know have, have we got an opportunity uh, to fire those people with enthusiasm as we say uh, and that is a two-way story uh, ideally uh, we are talking about firing them with enthusiasm to be on the right bus, which is the green bus. And the green bus uh, is, is, is all about people's capacity to think, I think. Uh, and, and that thinking is about awareness of self, awareness of others, and awareness of situations. The, the other thing about that, which is kind of something I'm passionate about, uh, with the work that we do, is that we can absolutely cultivate people's thinking. We can help people to think more dynamically. In other words, um, and this is where Carol Dweck places her excitement and enthusiasm, is you can help people to become more intelligent. And that is quite an interesting area when you've got a team. You want a team of really, really intelligent people who are committed to increasing their learning and their thinking capacity. Right now, that is possibly one of the most important things that we need to focus on as we come out of uh, this, or hopefully come out of this COVID uh, situation. Have we got a team that thinks? Uh, are we are we actually having the really honest conversations that about that being the thing that we trust most in our team, i.e., their thinking and their thoughts? Um, I, I worry sometimes that leaders don't celebrate thinking enough. I think they might they might celebrate effort. And they, they go, they, they focus in on giving good feedback around effort. Hmm. But, but the language is around the task that that person's just achieved or hitting that KPI or hitting that result. I, I get excited when I notice leaders celebrating thinking. I like that thinking. I hear that thinking. That thinking will get us uh, to that fastest flowing bit of the river uh, as a team in our little boat. That's the thinking we need in this team. Um, I think I've gone into the sea a lot today, um, That's we, which is brave. Mm. It's brave because it's bloody freezing. I've got friends who do it every day. They're mad, absolutely mad. And I tell you what, they're all women. No man is brave enough to get into the bloody sea. Uh, it's these hardcore ladies who do it every day. And there's about seven of them and they're brilliant and they're my mates, um, but no, men won't do it. Anyway, um, I, I wanted to just focus in today about 
the importance of celebrating really, really good thinking and for leaders to see their role as cultivating thinking in their organisations with these fabulous petri dishes, which are these teams that they have, um, and just put in, but throw a grenade in into that petri dish um, to stimulate and cultivate some really, really cool thinking. And if people don't see it as their job to do really cool thinking in your team, you need to have a serious, serious conversation uh, about what the hell they're doing in your team right now. Mm. Mm. Comments from the audience. Feel free in the chat box if you so wish. Um, I think we need to move on to our next next subject, don't we? Oh, goody. Shall I do goody. my one? I, be, I, bet, I bet it links to this in some way. I, as well, Ironically, that's part of my kind of thinking. This is a great, nice segue. Um, I read an article on the hrdirector.com, the hrdirector.com website, uh, an article called The Corrosive Impact of Disengaging Leaders. And essentially, in the article, it basically says that if you have a wonderful engagement strategy and a wonderful HR engagement plan and you have HR people and people focused on these projects, it's all a waste of time if you've got disengaging leaders. In fact, their data suggests it neutralizes it. And it really got me thinking because I've worked in a big professional services firm and I've worked in some monster businesses as well in my time. And I think it is often the mark of a good leader about how much they embrace these engagement initiatives as to whether they make it live or breathe in their team. Um, you and I in leadership programs, JB, have said before, and we've we've kind of name-checked the CEOs in these opening speeches we do, which is it's the responsibility of every line manager to inspire their people, to envision the exciting future. It's not the job of a CEO to come in and go, yeah, of course it is. Everything's going to be great. These are the things we want to do. Um, you know, hope, all that type of stuff. But actually, day to day, the the line manager needs to emulate those particular things. And I, I I looked across some of the key disengaging leaders that I have witnessed, but perhaps not had the misfortune of working for. And it really made this article jump off the page to me. Um, because, as I said, the, the data suggests that if you have a disengaged or disengaging leader, that regardless of the initiatives, they're neutralized. Because what they then looked at is the engagement scores of those non-disengaging leaders. And the engagement initiatives did make a difference for the teams that did have an engaging leader. So they kind of muted off, if you will, the disengaged leaders, and they saw a significant uptick. So essentially... I hate to say it, linked to what JB talks about here with the, the previous um, conversation point, is if you have identified, if you're a leader of leaders in particular here, if you've identified disengaging leaders in your organisation, you're either pissing money up the wall, excuse my language, with any engagement initiative you're going to do, unless you nip in the bud their, their particular situation. It also reminded me of a colleague engagement survey that you and I were, were made privy of a few years ago now, which was that 80% of an organisation we were working with reported into the least engaged job band. So the first line managers were a certain job band in the business and their engagement score was significantly lower than the rest of the businesses. But 85% of the population of that business reported into one of that job band. Oh, God, I remember that. It's that's that. I think that was the most depressing statistic I think I've actually ever seen. It helped us earn some money because the business wanted to fix it. But I, I think you, to your point, JB, um, it is depressing because there is a risk that when me and people like JB and organisations come in to try and help fix the problem, that in some cases retaining those people, if they're fixed themselves in terms of changing you're wasting your time. You need to fire these people with enthusiasm or fire them with enthusiasm. What we mean by that is fire them with enthusiasm to say, if you're not engaging your people, you're stuffed. You're out of this job. Um, we can help you with the skills, but you need to be conscious of your own engaging style or engagement of your people. Uh, flip side, actually, 
you know what the engagement of our organization is far more important you know culture each strategy for breakfast and just because you're a strategic pillar doesn't mean you're not replaceable and I think unfortunately some businesses really need to wake up and smell the coffee here because to your point on the previous article as the world starts to wake up once again post-covid this current delusion that people are going to stay in their current employers because they're so brilliant they might be when the shit's hitting the fan at the moment they might be looking after their people but if the first line managers are not engaging their people too the minute the minute they have a chance to leave they will and i'm already aware of sectors where they are covid proof professional services firms still need to do tax returns still need to do compliance documents they are still having high attrition talking to one of my friends this this week and their attrition is up on two years ago by 8%. And it was already high previously. Now, for people to be willing to jump ship during a crisis because they're still being approached by the competition tells you all you need to know that when the world is normal and the employment market is more buoyant again, if you do not engage your people, not only are you wasting your time with any engagement initiatives as a business, you're going to have a massive attrition issue on your doorstep and that will have a massive impact on the business's performance. So for me, in culture and strategy, breakfast definition, huge issue and it's about to become a massive explosion of problems. Well, so, um, you know, to me, it just comes back to that fixed versus dynamic mindset. Um, And, um, you know, we talk about the presentation of of self on a stage you might think in your head um that it's a given that when you get on the stage because of your title and your position um and some sort of uh, previous uh, excitement in your career you walk onto that stage and you're naturally going to be engaging because you're that char- charismatic and you're that sodding brilliant well you know look in the mirror because <laughs> sometimes um what people walk onto the stage talking about uh, is about, you know, what's happening externally, mm-hmm. what's happening to market forces, what's happening to the share price, what's happening to, um, you know, the KPIs, what's happening to everything that's going on, almost external to the people that are in that audience. And they don't communicate actually the important things uh, to those individuals that engages them uh, in the audience. So a, a, a leader who can uh, communicate a very, very powerful vision, uh, they don't have to be that charismatic. They don't. They don't. They have to work on it. They have to work on their communication. You've got to do that uh, mm. to cut through uh, to do the work in in actually assembling maybe two or three things that actually get right in the right inside the minds of those people, uh, talking about stuff at an emotional level, not just your rational, um, you know, stuff around what's what's right for the business. That's absolutely relevant. That's a given. It's a given. It goes with the job. But what marks a great leader is someone who is perceived to do what's right for the people too and to be able to articulate that in a very, very authentic way. And sometimes, and my God, we've come across some leaders in our time, haven't we, at that pretty senior level Mm. who can't communicate for shit. They don't know how to express their emotions um, and actually uh, be authentic when they're talking about um, <clears throat> COVID, you know, when they're talking about performance and learning and reputational opportunities uh, for people in the organisation. and But at the same time, being really, really honest about the things that will happen if we don't work together um, and we don't celebrate great thinking and innovation in our organisation. We on we are on a big march to oblivion, gang. Yeah. Um, w- worse, you know, uh, irrelevance, because the world's changing so damn quickly, and we we've got to be able 
to do, to show, to demonstrate that we uh, do what's right for the business and its people and engagement. You know, people talk, I'd see CEOs, like they talk about engagement as if it's on a spreadsheet. Don't just talk about it as a as a numbers thing off a spreadsheet. Engagement is people. It's about people in an organization who you need to demonstrate that you give a massive shit about, that you care about them, that you're passionate about them, that you bloody love them. Because if you don't have people in your organization that are happy with their uh, performance and feeling great about the learning opportunity and the excitement of being part of this business, being on the bus, you're screwed. You're absolutely bloody screwed if you can't communicate what's right for the business and what's right for the people in it. Completely agree. Oh, no. I, I'm off on one. No, I haven't no. been drinking. I promise. No, well, hey, we, we. So for those of you that are quite new to listening to our podcast, we do do some uh, alcohol podcasts. <laughs> we must do one of those soon. Yeah, we need to do it. In I, an, miss I, those. Think, I think we need to do it in an evening recording then, because uh, the thought of me doing this and then going on for other meetings afterwards would be a bit bonkers. <laughs> By the way, we always do this on a Friday for this reason that at some point we may do it at four o'clock on a Friday and then have a bit of a booze up. Um, to kick off the weekend. Um, I'm conscious of time. Should we move on to some listener questions? I think that's a fabulous idea. Um, and then if there's time, we could just play around with a few of the how to raise an adult. Uh, but if there isn't, it's fine because we'll, we'll put that into our next um, session because I think there's quite interesting stuff about this. It, there's, there's a psychology in there uh, angle, which I think could be quite interesting particularly as we're talking about doing what's right for the people um, and what we expect of millennials and all of that kind of stuff. So let's park that for now. Let's hear what the listeners have to say because that's always exciting. Let's see what we've got. So we've got 20 minutes. I reckon we should be able to get maybe five minutes at the end of our our session. Right, so um, first of all, there's there's an email, uh, then a a question accompanying it. And it starts very positive. And then by the end of it, I felt a bit sad actually about reading this. So it's quite a long one. So look, um, so... um, I don't like these type of things because it sounds like we're like there's a guy called Steve Wright in the UK who does this and, he, and and he insists on reading out that love the show at the beginning of every oh. and it's just so narcissistic. But nonetheless, yeah. you're going to do it now. <laughs> I'm going to because it's because anyway, um, they were directed to the podcast um, by a friend who recommended that they listen to us off the back of some things that they thought would resonate with me, and they do really enjoy listening to the podcast. However. I have a question for you, and this is anonymous, but it's from someone in Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I've just been put at risk um, of my role, and I'm being told that I will be exited from the business in, in May. Um, unfortunately, as part of this process, between now and the end of May, I'm expected to exit 20 of my 40 staff in my office. Um, and if I do that successfully before I leave, I'll have an enhanced exit package. How on earth do I lead people in this sort of situation? So, um, deep question, this, by the yeah, way. No, it's uh, wow. Um, so they are um, exiting in May. Um, they 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 were put at risk, and uh, as their final task in their role before they leave in May, uh, they've got to uh, effectively exit twenty other people. Direct reports. From their office, um, how am I going to keep up their motivation? Yeah, that's pretty much what I read here. I'll, I'll have a stab. You can reflect if you want, because um, I read this. Yeah. I read this this morning and thought, flip a neck. <laughs> um, right. Um, let's make an assumption that there are certain things that are outside your control. And therefore, what can we control ourselves in this position of leadership? Because let's be honest, it is pretty shit, if I'm honest, what you're being asked to do. But I know it's not uncommon. Um, And you and I know of several people um, in our time working with clients where they've had similar situations. They're being told the ship is going down and you're taking them with them. And if you want to leave with any kind of shred of reputation with us as a business, you will do this for us. Um, I think empathy is the first word that springs to mind for your people. And secondly, your reputation. And what I mean by your reputation is, 
how you handle this situation, if you're also at risk, is that if you want some of these people to work for you again in a future organization, um, if you handle this right, and as an individual, lead these people to ultimately a not nice place, they will remember you for good. Now, I will talk from personal experience where I know someone that was made redundant and it was done so delicately and so right by the leader who was also being made redundant from their organization that not only did it allow the leader um, to work with that person again, they still work with them again now two organizations later and it was because it was handled in such a right way. So I think for me, the importance of leading is talking about what you can control and what you can't. And if you're having to do this in confidence, because I don't know the full context of this, I think I'm presuming that the company's having to do this for, 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 for financial security or their private equity owners and things might be asking you to do other things. I've got no idea about the context. I don't know who you are. Um, I know your email name, but, I, but you're saying it's an anonymous question. So I don't recognize you as an individual and therefore it's difficult for me to give context to it. But for me, it's all about reputation. Um, how much empathy can you show? How much coaching can you give to people for career opportunities for the future? Um, help them understand that it's it sounds like it's a business decision and not personal. Um, but nonetheless, you can give them that empathy. If you're able to declare that you are also being asked to leave the business as well, I think that helps. Um, if you're not, um, that's tricky. But hopefully, if you handle this in the right way, when you are exited, post any conditions you have of your exit package about what you know and what you're not allowed to know in the future um, I think people will be very forgiving to you come June July when they then realize that you also were going down with a sinking ship and doing what was right for the people given the circumstances it's a tricky one and it's a long game um, but ultimately if you think of a business that goes into administration and you're aware it's going to happen and you know you're going to lose your job as well off the back of it um, this is about your personal reputation. Um, you know, you're, you're the captain of a sinking ship um, and you've got to do what's right to try and save as many people. And the 20 people that are left behind are going to want to work for you again. They're going to have that survivor syndrome. And depending on your loyalty to that business will dictate what you do with it, I suspect. But JB, I mean, that that was in the limited time I've had to think between reading it this morning at 9.30 or my meetings and then coming on to our session to kind of in my internally think it through. Well, I'm going to I'm going to channel my mum uh, into this conversation. Um, God rest her soul. Uh, my mum was a Macmillan nurse. And for those of you who don't know, a Macmillan nurse is someone who cares for people um, who are um, who've got cancer and um, they're they're dying basically and um, I I always struggled uh, with watching my mum go out to um, help people to die I uh, and she met so many wonderful brilliant brilliant people in the in the process. And I could never understand how she could cope with it. And I remember this conversation with her. Uh, and she said, um, the thing that, that just drives me and makes it work for me. Um, and it, it, it kind of, I get out of bed in the morning because of it. Is she said, I help people die with dignity. Now, I'm taking a risk in pu putting this in here, but I just, when you were talking about it, and it really made me think about that word, uh, dignity. Um, no one's dying here. Um, no. But that word dignity, I think, is massively important for people um, when they are in this situation. People need to be allowed their dignity. And beyond that, so do their families. Um and so I think holding on to that idea, how do I help this person uh, to retain dignity um, and to leave this company uh, in a really dignified fashion with, with me? This person has the, the opportunity uh, for this team, for these wonderful people to leave with dignity. 
And I think to get them together, to have that conversation, how do we leave with dignity? Um, I, that's my first word. The other word is um, learning. And it, it's about how do we how do we maximize every scrap, every inch, every possible piece of learning uh, that we can get from this exercise of leaving this company with with great dignity. Um, what is what is the potential learning from this? Um, we, you know, we've experienced many people in these situations before. Um, and my God, how many times was I threatened with this in um, in my corporate life? Constant um, you know, restructurings and, you know, having to apply for your job again and again. I was about three or four times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it is, uh, it, it can be quite devastating. But if you can, if you can get your team and you to really, really work together and think, what can we learn and what resources can we take from this business uh, to enhance our learning and to enhance our sense of dignity so that we can lead leave in a dignified fashion. My final point um, is just just imagining each person in this team um, having their own individualized team around them. I always like to check in with, you know, who's your team? Um, so if Ant needed support, who's Ant's team? I know Ant's got a fantastic team around him um, of, you know, colleagues, uh, hopefully me as well, and and also his his wonderful family. You know, there's there's a really good team uh, for Ant, so he can make a really good pit stop, refuel, put new tyres on, and then whiz out back onto the tracks and not crash into um, uh, Nicky Lauda or whatever. I don't know why I used that example. Um, <laughs> Poor old Nikki. Sorry, Nikki. Um, but um, I, I, I think that to, to have the conversation about those three things. Who's your team? Who's, who's team JB? Who's team Ant um, that's going to help you through this? I'm one of them, by the way, you know, volunteering. Um, you know, where's the learning um, and where's the dignity? Uh, get the team really thinking about those three things with you um, and and try and tick all of those boxes uh, as 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 you as you leave the company. And I've I've thrown in some quite sort of big big shit into that, but I'm telling you what came out of my heart really. Um, and there you go. I, I just just one final comment. You mean over an organisation very close to both of our hearts where we met, um, who were being sold to a monster. Um, and as a result of it, most of the businesses were being consolidated and therefore shut down and centralised. And on that basis, those people knew full well the writing was on the wall to their demise. And um, I talked to one of my friends who was a, um employee of that organisation, who I remain in touch with, and they said they knew the writing was on the wall, but they decided they were going to go out in a blaze of glory, not as in to destruct what had been created, but they wanted to make sure that when they locked the door and that building was no longer in existence, that the last things that came out of it were the best work they'd ever done. Um, and that was testament. And they, you know, uh, some of them have gone on and found other jobs very quickly. Others, unfortunately, have not. But they can be proud of the fact that they produced something really incredible during their final days of running that particular business before it was consolidated and therefore shut. So, I, you know, I, I think it's 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 reminding them what they what they came to work for. And we want to make this finish as enthusiastically as it started, because I promise you, look back in three years, you'll either look at that as a bitter experience. or You look back at it and go, actually, you know what? we? Yeah, I'm so annoyed that that's what happened. But my God, did we did we do did we do well? I learned a lot. <clears> and I did <throat> it. With, I, I learned a lot and I did it with dignity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, there's two more questions, so we need to be quick. Um, this is an email from Maria, and she says, how important is narcissism as a competence in leadership? <laughs> now, you and me immediately are thinking of certain people that we know oh, that God, are narcissists yeah. and are not. Um, I, I, you see, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this this whole idea of, of us even having to, you know, or, 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 you know, do we quantify how much narcissism is important? I am, I, I, I hate narcissists generally. 
I don't like them. Um, and sometimes you can smell them out a mile off. And some people, ironically, will sometimes say to you and me, you know, I bet you love all this attention. I don't. Um, you know, this podcast, I like the podcast because apart from a live audience, no one can see me. Um, and um, uh, and I know some, we've talked about this on a previous episode, I think, where there's people that we know that are quite narcissistic and you kind of think, well, they bring value to the business. My eye is twitching. God, it's just started twitching. <laughs> um, we bring them to the business, or do we bring them to the business based on the fact that we know that they're so up themselves, we're actually going to feather their feather their cap even more. Um, I think <clears throat> there is a fine line between confidence, competence, and narcissism. Uh, and JB talks about a power over versus power with, um, and how. M- and ironically, I- I'm going to be very careful. I had a coffee with someone last year who I know is a narcissist, but not kind of proper out there, but loves sharing all the accolades and awards that they've received. Um, and the, it, it, there's a there's a healthy amount of, I'm so proud of myself versus look at me, look at me. And unfortunately it's the latter. Um, and I think Depending on the nature of your organisation, sometimes you need some level of overconfidence in the public domain because you know for a while they'll probably say things you'd never dare say yourself. And sometimes those things need to be said, which is another, I suspect, regular thing of a narcissist. But I, I, I'm, I'm not sure about it as a competence. I would rather bed that word down and replace it with something more soft around confidence, competence and power with, not power over. What's your thoughts, JB? Well, what is a narcissist? A narcissist is someone who um, likes to be centre of attention. Uh, They um, do a lot of self-aggrandisement. They are um, incredibly selfish uh, individuals. Uh, they lack the capacity to empathise. They can't put themselves in other people's shoes. Um, fundamentally, it's it's all about them. Uh, they are ruthless uh, in achieving their own um, Notoriety. self. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's massively important to them, and and they will hurt others. Uh, it is important for them to be higher than anyone else uh, in their world. Uh, anyone who threatens them uh, with being higher than them uh, is, um, you know, stand by uh, because they they will they will they will hurt you. Uh, they're they're not nice people. Uh, they so, they can they sorry. can be uh, they can be uh, the the star of the show. Uh, you know, they can walk into a room and and actually the weirdest thing uh, is that uh, people are gravitate towards them uh, because they can be quite entertaining the sh- we we talk about um the you know lights camera action and and when that when that person walks into the room they they want to steal the show they they want the lights camera action on them it's all about them but when the cameras are off uh they don't give a shit you know they do not they can they can pretend that they love everybody and it's all a lovely show but when the when the when the cameras are off uh, they are an entirely different person um, and often quite foul. Would you want one of those in your organisation? No, you wouldn't. Can I interrupt I, though? Because I think yeah. I think so. Therefore, I would say that the person I'm thinking about, um, I think, does celebrate the success of others, but probably under their breath is kind of a bit of envy in there. Um, but I don't think they would be able to sabotage someone above them, if that makes sense. So they're not a full-on narcissist on that basis then. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, it's a spectrum, uh, obviously. You know, at the top of that spectrum, you've got the psychopath uh, who would kill you. Uh, you know, they will kill you. And we can all think of who we're think, thinking about there. 
Yeah, they will kill as in you. All our listeners as well. Uh, um, you come, you come down a few peg or two, and you come to the sociopath, then the narcissist, and then the extremely selfish, bloody people who've got a bit of a conscience and beat themselves up quite a lot, and so on, and and down you come. So, um, do you, do you want that in your organisation? I would say no, you don't. Mm. Um, you know, try and try and avoid it. Uh, th- there has been some very interesting studies about narcissists uh, in the FTSE two hundred and fifty. Um, and really? you know, yeah, how how successful they can be, but they can be successful uh, during a very short little time span, because they can't put themselves into other people's shoes. Therefore, they can't do what's right for the people in the organisation. They don't really care that much. They certainly don't com- give a shit about the community um, or suppliers or anything else. They are they are there purely to do one thing and one thing only. Um, and that is to make a boatload of money uh, for themselves. And they know they have to, their success is dependent on making a boatload of money for other people. So for a short period of time, that can work. Um, and there are certain, I won't go on and on and on about it, but you know, there are there are structures that, that enable narcissism at that level to exist, but it is massively destructive to organizations, to society, uh, to people generally, um, and I think it's a really bad idea unless you want a really, really uh, quick turnaround uh, of your business. Put the narcissist in and then get them out very quickly. Um, I, 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 I'm always shooting myself in the foot here. I, I don't <laughs> like prospect, them. I, think, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go near one. I'd never have one in. I think I, I'm sure I fired one once. I just they're bad news, really bad news. They're not sustain, they're not good for a sustainable organization. No. And that's the with point, good values. It? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't know the motive behind the question. Again, I, I the, the name's Maria, um, and they. It's a great fired. question. It is. I love the question. Um, anyway, it's a cheeky but, question. We are we are out of time, so we we can't do <laughs> oh, we no. can't do another question or the other one. But we will. Part, so the first thing we're going to talk about in the next episode is JB. Well, I think um, how to raise an adult and making a comparison uh, with these um, people who are not prepared for the workplace uh, because they have been helicoptered through their lives. Uh, They have been protected, corralled. All the big decisions um, have been made by the parents um, and they are not ready. They're not work fit. And I'm worried about them. And I think this uh, could be quite an interesting uh, angle to go in for a little conversation about the millennials. Nice. The millennials. That's that's a good topic, I think, for our next conversation. What are we going to do with them? Goodness knows. Plans for the weekend, Mr. Bradley? Uh, well, <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit repetitive now, but um, we are going to the dump. Um, Again? Again, we love the dump. What a trip it's our favourite. It's our favourite thing. Well, there's nothing else to do. True. We can't go to the pub. We can't do anything else. So we do the walk, take the dog, uh, do the dump uh, and the dog. Um, and so that's probably one of the highlights of the weekend. Nice. Oh, I, the other thing, we've got a whole load of stuff arriving for the kitchen. Uh, yeah, no, there's... there's no longer is it shed update, it's kitchen update now. Well, so absolutely, the, the, the there's a big focus on two things I've got to do. I've got to put um, my business onto a training uh, course platform that people can buy when I'm asleep. That's going to happen this year. Uh, I'm also going to redo our kitchen from top to bottom. So last year I had two things to do. Um, this is this is these are the two things that are going to really big big time happen this year for me, um, and. That's the starting point for this weekend. What about you? Don't know. <laughs> um, not <laughs> similar. We're locked down. I, I, all I can tell you is is that my my wife has just sent me a WhatsApp message saying um, your son has just informed me that he's doing in speech marks a tricky poo. <gasps> uh, he's two. You and a, go, go and he, go and help. He's he's two and, he's two and a bit years old. So he's come out with this. I'm doing a tricky poo, mummy. Because I, I then said which son, and she says Daniel, of course, the youngest. What is it live? I mean, have you got to go rush off and? No, no, no this was about ten minutes ago. Was but, but oh, she, she likes to send me these little comments of things. Very amusing. So, he's, so uh, I will discover the, the the product of that tricky poo shortly, no I, doubt. I know we've got to go, but there's just a lovely story about a kid 
um, probably the same age actually, and they couldn't get them. They, they had a little constipation. Sorry to end the show like this, but um, they had constipation, and so the mum said, "What's happening?" And my poo's a bit shy. <laughs> I love it. A shy it's poo. It's sweet. It's a shy poo. It won't come out. So it's a shy, and it's not coming out today. Nice. Well, so so my, my two and a bit year old, two and a half year old is is doing a tricky poo. So no, uh, a I, tricky poo. I, other Brilliant. than that, um, probably just to be walking the dog. Um, I think we're gonna have to, we're gonna have an exciting takeaway tomorrow night, um, and I've got probably a challenge with Lego. I think with my middle boy, who we've got into Technics Lego this week and built a remote control Lego car that he got for Christmas two Christmases ago but it was such a big project we deferred it until it was old enough to be interested to sit for three and a half hours and do it so finishing more Lego projects is probably the other um, subject of the weekend but there you go Um, and on that tricky poo note um, we're going to be shy now and go and bury ourselves away but I've been Anthony Price and I've been Jonathan Bradley evacuating all over the place thank you goodness bye bye (laughs) 